Hey guys, welcome to Pickled Parables. My name is Jesse. We're going to begin a new series that revolves around the book of Galatians. And this book was instrumental in my personal conversion to Christ, and so I hope that this study will be helpful for you. This book is, if we're honest, really, it's more of a letter. It's called an epistle. It's in the New Testament, and it was written by the Apostle Paul. Now, for some people, you might hear that, and it might not uh, mean anything to you. Uh, Epistle, Apostle, uh, New Testament. That information could be meaningless without the proper context. And so in order to approach this study with understanding, we all need to be aware of some certain things. And so as an introduction, I want to help everyone be on the same page. And this lesson will serve as the backdrop for this epistle and really all of the Pauline type of epistles and color in the context just a little bit. So in order to do that, we need to go back and start with the events of what happened right after Jesus died. So the events right after Jesus' death, they're, they're well documented and recorded, which is great because a lot of things happened in a short amount of time. And it, it, it's a little bit, it can get a little bit messy if you don't have a, a chronological uh, timeline of the events. So immediately after Jesus' death, the, the day of, this, this guy, he was a, a secret disciple of Jesus, he approached the Roman governor, his name was Pilate, and he asked if he could take Jesus' body away and bury it. When evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, he took courage, that's an understatement, and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died, and summoning the centurion, he asked whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that Jesus was dead, he then granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking Jesus down from the cross, he wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of a rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Now Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus laid. So this all took place on a Friday, the same day that Jesus had died. It was called the Day of Preparation because the next day was the Sabbath, it was on Saturday, and this particular weekend, the whole weekend was a holiday. So Jesus was buried in a tomb, but he he wasn't given a proper burial, he wasn't given a ceremony, simply because of the time constraint. Jesus died, it was getting close to the the end of the day, and so they they put him away, sealed up the tomb, and, and left him. So Mary Magdalene and another Mary, honestly, almost everyone was named Mary back then. But these two ladies watched where Jesus was buried so that they could come back later and give him the respected burial that they thought he deserved. So the next day was the Sabbath. It was Saturday. And the thing about the Sabbath for Jews was that 
observant Jews were, were not allowed to, to work that much. Very little work was allowed. So the ladies had to wait for Sunday. But while they waited, the Jewish leaders, uh, leadership pardon me, remembered something that Jesus had said when he was alive. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before the Roman governor, Pilate, and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days, I will rise. Therefore, you should order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, unless his disciples go and steal away his body and then tell the people he has risen from the dead. And then the last fraud will just be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, well, okay, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So just as a a little more of a backdrop, the, the Jewish leadership, saw Jesus' death as a personal victory, just politically speaking. But they also, they were cautious. They wanted to be cautious because even though he was dead, they were still, oh, you hear that? It's the ice cream truck. Uh, Well, hold up, I gotta get ice cream. Uh, Jewish leadership, yeah. Okay, so uh, the Jewish leadership hated Jesus. They were very excited that he was dead, but they were aware of something he had said uh, along the lines of like, I'm going to come back in three days. So they they didn't actually believe it, but they're like, his disciples might believe it. And so they might try to steal Jesus's body and then say he's alive. And then that could just make all of our problems so much worse. You know, because if he came back to life, people would obviously believe him. So we need to put up a guard. We need to seal the tomb. We need to make it as secure as we can. And so that's what they did. They got permission from Pilate, the Roman governor, to set up a guard to seal the the stone against the tomb. Uh, and, And this all took place on the Sabbath on Saturday. So that's just a quick recap. Uh, what happens next? Okay, so uh, then early on Sunday morning, before the sun even pops up, right, something happens. Behold, there was an, uh, an earthquake, a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. And his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Now, the phrase like dead men, right? That, that makes me think of uh, unconsciousness. Like they passed out because of panic. You ever see one of, those, uh, one of those fainting goats 
If you haven't, you should YouTube that real quick. It's that's what I think of when when I think of this sentence. Uh, but after they came to, like after they woke back up, we find out that they left. They went and they reported what had happened to their superiors. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. Right. So it's it's around this time after the guards leave that Mary Magdalene showed up at the tomb. Because remember, she was one of the people who wanted to give Jesus a proper burial, give him a ceremony, anoint his body with these uh, spices, these aloes, according to her custom, and help the body, you know, decease, or not decease, decay a little nicer. I'm not actually sure. Uh, But she didn't know about the guards being posted. That was all on the Sabbath. She wasn't there. And so when she arrived, she saw the stone had been opened. It it had a broken seal. And I mean, think about it. There's probably like evidence of encampment, right? If people are standing guard all night, they're going to have a little campfire, maybe a little sleeping area, just, you know, messy footprints everywhere, stuff like that. It looks like disturbed terrain and leftovers from a group of people. So without knowledge of the guards, Mary's like, they stole them. So let's pick up here. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, you know, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. Notice, they have taken the Lord. They. Now, who do you think they would be in in Mary's mind? Her first thought was that the Jewish leadership had stolen Jesus's body. First they kill him and then they take his body. That's what she's thinking. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and he reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter came, following him, he went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, he also went in and he saw and believed. For as of yet, they did not understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Now, while all of this is happening, the Jewish leadership is trying to figure out what to do. While they were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. And they said, tell people uh, that his disciples came by night and stole him away while you were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. Now, it's a little shady. It's not exactly clear what, what you know, is discussed in this council uh, meeting. But the result was that the disciples somehow had to be involved, right? That, that was the mindset. That was kind of the concluded thought. 
So the disciples thought that the Jewish leadership had stolen Jesus's body. And then the Jewish leadership, they thought that somehow the disciples had stolen Jesus's body. So nobody really knew what was going on, but assumptions were just, they were being thrown everywhere. Now, while it was still morning, more people went to the tomb. This time it was a group of women. They went to, to Jesus's tomb because they also wanted to prepare Jesus for a proper burial, but they weren't in the loop. So they hadn't heard of Jesus's disappearance yet. But let's hold up. Let me, uh, let me look at this. Let's back up a little bit to when Jesus was first buried. Uh, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how Jesus's body was laid. Then they returned and prepared uh, spices and ointments. This was on Friday. Then on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. That was uh, Saturday. But on the first day of the week, on Sunday, at early dawn, so the sun has popped up, right? They went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, well, why are you here? Do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of the sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. So they departed uh, quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell Jesus' disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So this is uh, the first time, the first record of Jesus appearing to anyone after his death. And notice, it wasn't to a a single person. It wasn't to anyone significantly uh, of high status. It was, a, it was a group of women who in that day did not hold uh, a lot of credibility because uh, people had a hard time with uh, liking women back in the day, which is unfortunate because women are great. It reminds me of how when Jesus was born and the shepherds appeared to the shepherds, how shepherds came running into Bethlehem looking for the newborn uh, child, saying, like, we've seen angels and all these crazy things. Shepherds also did not have a lot of credibility. And so it's, it's interesting to me how God seems to really kind of work with those who don't have a lot of credibility. And that, that makes me feel kind of good about myself. But either way, Uh, the women saw Jesus and they were told to go tell the disciples. And so the women went to the disciples and told them that they had seen Jesus. Now, back at the tomb, good grief, this place was busier than a beehive on a Friday night, but it was a Sunday. Mary Magdalene goes back to grieve the loss of Jesus's body. She's heartbroken. 
because she had just lost Jesus a couple days ago, and now she couldn't even give him a proper burial. So Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head, one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who, who are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, oh, there, that is a loaded assumption. That is so fun if we could dig into that, but we have a lot to do. So we'll come back to that later. Uh, supposing Jesus to be the gardener, Mary Magdalene said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me, where have you laid him? And I'll, I'll go take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. That's a, a callback to one of Jesus' teachings about how uh, the, like his sheep will recognize his voice. She turned to him and in Aramaic said, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. That's so fun that there's a lot of stuff. Okay, we're going to keep going. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So after Mary Magdalene's encounter with Jesus, she also ran to tell the disciples. And so both the group of women come, and then Mary Magdalene comes, and they both give separate accounts of seeing Jesus. But the disciples, they just couldn't believe it. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and the Mary, uh, which one? The mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they didn't believe them. Now, later in that day, two of Jesus' followers took a trip to a nearby village, and on the way, they had an interesting encounter. That very day, so this is again Sunday, two of them, them being disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that were, happen uh, that were happening. Uh, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him, kind of like that whole deal with Mary Magdalene. And Jesus said to them, what, what is this conversation that you're having with each other as you walk? And they stopped and stood still, looking sad. And then one of them, his name was Cleopas, answered Jesus, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? And Jesus said to them, what, what, are, what, are the, what are the things? And they told him, well, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a, a man who was a, a prophet, mighty in deed and in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped that, that he was the one to redeem Israel. And Besides all this, it's, it's now the third day since these things have happened. And some of 
the women in our company, they amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they didn't find his body, they, they came back saying that they had seen visions of angels who said he was alive. And I mean, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but, but they didn't see anything. And Jesus said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, No, 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 stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day's now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he gave uh, bread, and he broke it and blessed it, and, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. But he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon Peter. And then they told what had happened to them on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So the two guys returned to the disciples, but before they could tell them about what had happened, they find out that apparently Jesus had appeared to Peter as well. So now Jesus is popping up everywhere. And in fact, Jesus wasn't done for that day. This is still Sunday. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do you have doubts arise in your hearts? Look, see my hands and my feet. It's me. Touch me and, and see. For Does a spirit have flesh and bones that, I, that you see that I have? And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieving for joy and marveling, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate it before them. Now, unfortunately for this guy, one of the disciples was gone when Jesus visited the, the group. And when he came back, all the people were telling him, Jesus has come to visit us. It's amazing. He's alive. But he wasn't really on board for it. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, he was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and put my finger into those marks and, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And eight days later, it's a long time, Jesus' disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. And then he turned to Thomas. Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Don't disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. 
And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Now, let me just pause for a minute here. Thomas gets a lot of flack for this moment. But let me just remind you that all of Jesus's disciples had to see his resurrection in order to believe it. They, they wouldn't believe the women's testimony. They, they went to the empty tomb and they stood in it. This was not an easy thing for them to believe. And, and you can hear it in how Thomas responded to his friends, right? Like, unless I uh, see the mark of those nails and, and put my finger into those marks and, and put my hand into his side from where he was stabbed, I will never believe. I mean, think of it from their perspective. They had just watched Jesus die. And it was an excruciating death that must have been traumatic for his friends to watch. They could not be convinced with, with some sort of hope or with words that Jesus was alive. They had to see it and interact with him. But it's through their testimony that we're able to believe today. Now, if you remember, when Jesus first appeared to the women, he told them to meet him in Galilee. But, right, the disciples didn't believe them, and so Jesus had to come and convince them of his resurrection. Long story short, eventually, <laughs> they made their way to Galilee. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. Uh, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Uh, then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, you know, one of the beauties of the Bible is its honesty. Not everyone believed, which is fair, because if you're in a crowd of 500 people, you can imagine the people in the back being a little skeptical. But Jesus made it a point to appear to more than just a handful of people. He didn't appear just to a couple people. He appeared to crowds, to hundreds of people in order to establish witnesses. So after the visit in Galilee, the disciples went back to Jerusalem and Jesus met them there again. Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. 
And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed. Uh, with power from on high. <laughs> that was on the other, second page. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So this was 40 days after his resurrection. Jesus ascended into heaven and he took his rightful place at the right hand of God. But he would one day return and formally become the Prince of Peace. But in the meantime, while we wait, the disciples had a mission that they were given. They were told to tell the world about the miracle of Jesus and how through Jesus, mankind can have a restored relationship with God the Father. And the cool thing about this is that Jesus didn't leave his disciples alone to carry out this mission. Because 10 days later, not many days from when he ascended, the Spirit of God rushed upon them and they became filled with the Helper Holy Spirit. Buckle up, this one might be hard. When the day of Pentecost arrived, that's a holiday, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing the disciples speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not these speaking? Are, are they not Gale uh, Galileans? How is it that we can hear each of us in our own native language? This is the part that we need to buckle up for. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygera, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. Whew. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Well, it meant that God wanted the world to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and that he was partnering with people to do it. Starting in Jerusalem, uh, in Jerusalem, wow, okay, we're going to have to work on that. Starting in Jerusalem and working outward 
the message of Jesus was shared. It was really proclaimed. But this proclamation was met with all kinds of opposition. And one opposition was named Saul. He was this super zealous guy in, who just held to his beliefs. And his beliefs was that the church was a heretical sect of Judaism. And so he persecuted the church and led com- campaigns against her. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Notice that's north and south, so that's going outward from Jerusalem. And they were, uh, I read that already, except for the apostles. They didn't scatter. But Paul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. Now, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, as it was known, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who, who are you? Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Rise, enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with Paul, uh, sorry, that's a little sneak peek of his name later. Uh, the men traveling with Saul stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he couldn't see. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus. His name was Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. That's very reminiscent of some Old Testament stories. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. You ever think about how much you could think about just sitting in a dark room Imagine Paul, I'm sorry, I did it again, Saul being blind for three days, having just this incredible experience, and you can't see, you just think. He must have had so much to think about. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here in Damascus, he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, 
brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came, he has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Now, Saul became instrumental in the growth of the church. He reached out to both Jews and Gentiles alike, and he became a mighty force against heretical teachings and just misguided people who were saying things that could be considered heretical. Saul took the zeal and the passion that he had as a persecutor of the church, and he focused it towards the preservation of the church. He later became known as Paul. I let that name slip a couple times in just talking about him. It's how he's referred to and known, uh, especially after he became uh, a, a follower of the way, if you will. Uh, he wrote several of our New Testament uh, epistles, one of which is Galatians. And in this letter, he defends the truth of the gospel with a passion that's pretty hard to find nowadays. We're going to be learning uh, a lot about this guy, about Saul, also known as Paul, uh, because he became really helpful and really important to the church because of his zealous guard for truth. Several of his letters are addressing uh, specific heresies that were popping up in the church, and he was trying to right the ship uh, before any uh, permanent damage would, was kind of sustained to the church. The men who first led the church were all doing it out of a testimony. They were witnesses to Jesus' resurrection, and they had a mission to reach the world with their witness, Saul included. So next week, we'll get closer to Galatians as we learn more about Saul and his purpose for writing a letter to the churches in Galatia. But thank you for joining me today. This, this was a lot of fun. And uh, until next week, uh, we'll, we'll talk to you later.